When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. It is a special edition of uh, the podcast. This week's guest is Mike Shannon. Highly recommend that one if you haven't listened to it. Uh, last week, KMOV anchor Courtney Bryant. The week before, Ryan Kelly. The week before, Rich Gould. The week before, Joe Buck. I think the week before that was Joe Theismann. The week before that, Governor Jay Nixon. I mean, we've had, we've got ourselves a really nice run going here with the guests. And if I'm not mistaken, our guest next week will be Rizzuto from the Rizzuto Show, uh, which I think uh, would have to be considered. And I say this with 100% sincerity, especially when you're basing it off uh, the... Uh, Nielsen ratings, I think, the host of the most successful morning show in St. Louis, and I'm obviously being sincere on that. I host a morning program in St. Louis myself. So uh, looking forward to sitting and bullshitting with Rizzuto and all of our guests here on the Tim McKernan Show are presented to you by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Mark just got on board with the program, and I am happy to tell you about him. Now, I don't know about you. But from my standpoint, I have a major regret about how I manage my money in my 20s and 30s. I'm almost embarrassed by it. But there is someone who can help you. It doesn't matter if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies is the guy. Now, I met with Mark, and I was thinking it'd be good to have a new sponsor on the podcast, but I want to find out if he knows what he's talking about. And sure enough, after talking to him, I was saying to myself, I wish I would have known Mark 20 years ago because I would be in a different position now by managing my money smartly then. And that is the key that people don't think about when it comes to managing money. And it is so important. I sat with Mark. He opened his iPad. He entered the dollar figures. It could be for your 401k. It could be for savings. It could be for your investments. And he puts you and your family on the right path for what you want. He helps people every day. And he helps everyday people build a strategy to get to their financial goals. He helps build a strategy to put your kids through college, to keep you from having to work until you're 95 years old, to not get blasted on taxes, and make sure your family is taken care of in case the unthinkable happens. His name is Mark Hanna. Give him a call, 314-889-0503, or check him out online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Uh, and we're in the Ryan Kelly, homeloanexpert.com studios. Before we get to the special edition, which is a PGA Championship. I played Bell Reeve from the tips yesterday edition of the uh, podcast. And uh, Ryan Kelly did something uh, more significant than I would imagine any of us. And that is he just got done climbing the Grand Teton in Wyoming for the fourth annual Climb for the Kids. He summited yesterday morning 
and just the picture of him doing that, uh, the picture of him up there at the summit, it's just so damn cool. I'm so happy for him because this is something he starts working on at the beginning of the year, doesn't publicize it uh, when they're starting to work on it. And to see that mountain, to see what they had to do, I can't even imagine what they had to do. I saw pictures. And to do that, and all in the name of charity, is an indication of the kind of person Ryan Kelly is. He also just happens to be, as you may have heard in the podcast interview, uh, an incredible businessman, very smart with the mortgage industry. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. His name is Ryan Kelly, and not only can he save you money, uh, when you're buying a home, he can help you out with a cash-out refi. Ryan Kelly, the Home Loan Expert, online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Support the sponsors. They make the whole thing possible, and we are incredibly grateful for them. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Mark Hanna, 314-889-0503, or check them out online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Mark Hanna offers securities through AXA Advisors, LLC, New York, New York, 212-314-4600. Member FINRA, SVIPC, annuity and insurance project products offered through AXA Network, LLC. Evergreen Wealth Strategies is not owned or operated by AXA Advisors or AXA Network. And, of course, our t- uh, studio sponsor, uh, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, fresh off of climbing Grand Teton. So why are we doing this style of sewed today? And here's the reason. We are fresh off the PGA Championship in St. Louis. And there's so much I want to discuss. But when I'm doing TMA, um, it's I, I recognize it's two different styles of offense, even though I recognize, I think, that many of people who like TMA also like the style of offense on uh, the Tim McKernan show, the podcast. And then on the other side of it, those who like the podcast also like the, the, the TMA thing. So... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to balance, and then on TMA, if it's going to be a story that's really kind of a long-winded story, and I have, you know, five other people on the show with me, I don't want to just take the floor and begin doing a monologue. So if I do have a monologue kind of situation, why not do it on the show where I'm riding solo? And so I wanted to uh, share my thoughts on the PGA Championship, share my thoughts on both the criticism and the compliments of it all, uh, and then finally tell the story that a lot of people were texting into TMA asking for me to tell, but do it here where if you want to hear it, you know you're going to hear it as opposed to, oh, I want my normal TMA, and now Tim's talking about getting to play Bell Reeve the day after the PGA Championship and playing it from where the players teed off. But that's what I did, uh, and so I wanted to take it away from TMA and put it here. So if you do wind up listening to it, uh, you really have nobody to blame but yourself if you don't want to listen to it. If I did it on TMA, you'd be like, man, I love my TMA. I want to sexually harass Doug, and you're talking about how you played the 10th hole at Bell Reeve. I'm not interested. So that's the strategy behind the whole thing. I hope it makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. I can assure you in my mind it makes sense. So let's start here. Before I get into the experience of playing, because I know a lot of people are wondering what the course was like, the conditions, what it was like to play from where they played. Let's talk about the event itself. Um, I recorded a podcast last week uh, kind of addressing what was going on leading into the event. And what I was trying to convey was the following. National golf media is going to be critical of the golf course. And 
there's nothing that you can do about it. The reason for the criticism of the golf course was going to be twofold. Number one, most people in the national golf media do not believe that Bell Reeve is a signature enough course to host the 100th PGA Championship. Had it been the 99th, had it been the 101st, had it been the 102nd, had it been the 103rd, and so on and so forth, I do not believe you would have heard as intense a criticism as you heard. That's number one. Number two, the greens at Bell Reeve have been a story in the golf community, both locally and nationally, for a couple of years. I recognize that for many of you, some of whom don't play as often as I've started playing and who would not necessarily uh, be in the golf community or have any interest in being in the golf community, you don't know that. And I can tell you as somebody who hosts a show and who hosts a podcast that it was a delicate topic to navigate over the course of the last couple of years because we kept hearing about it. But as you can imagine, people at Bell Reeve were certainly not going to go, yes, let me come on the record and talk about all the issues that we're having with our greens. So essentially you'd be broadcasting rumors. And I wasn't interested in that until somebody was willing to go on the record. And I, and I might have said this in last week's. If I did, I apologize for the redundancy. If I didn't, I will tell you this and, and you'll go, oh my God. Uh, one of the people I was communicating with uh, regarding the situation at Bell Reeve in late May or early June was so careful uh, about it, said he did not want to even text it to me because he didn't want it somehow getting back to him. He said, I'll meet you to talk about it, but I, I don't want to uh, text. That's how sensitive it was because there were some people who really believed that there was a chance that the event was going to get moved away from Bell Reeve. Now, I don't know if that was ever a real thing. Mike Tucker, the head pro at Bell Reeve, came on our show and joked about uh, how, you know, all the rumors about moving to Valhalla, uh, once the thing was over, they go, oh, I guess it's not moving to Valhalla now. Uh, they joked about that on Sunday night after Brooks Kepka won. Uh, but that was something that was going on. So for better or worse, sucks when rumors are bullshit. It sucks even more, I guess, when the rumors are true. But that was something that was going on. And I also understand that for many people, you were not aware of that. Or some of you were not aware of that. So that's a weird spot. Um because it was going on in the golf community, but whether or not it was true, it, was, it, it, it didn't matter because the golf media and the players came to St. Louis last week thinking that Bell Reeve had major issues with their greens. Whether they did or didn't, that's what they thought. So first off, you have the 100th at a course they didn't think was worthy of it. You have the issues with the greens, real or not, and I will talk about my experience on those greens yesterday. And then you also have the heat and humidity of St. Louis in August. And they now know, unlike a year ago, or of course five years ago, or when it was here in 1992, that the PGA Championship will be played in May. And in their minds, if we're going to be in St. Louis, why not be here in May? So we wouldn't be dealing with this heat and this humidity, which, as I mentioned last week, I'll reiterate here, is results-oriented because they didn't make the change to move the PGA Championship to May until earlier in this year. So you can't just all of a sudden flip the schedule uh, a few months out from the PGA Championship just because they've moved when the PGA Championship is going to be. And furthermore, who knows that the weather is going to be like in May in St. Louis. Oftentimes you're dealing with a lot of rain, and sometimes it's not that warm, by the way. So that's that's the setting for all of this. So let's let's now pick up where we left off last week. And that is you have a rain delay on Tuesday. You have a terse 
would be the word I use. As I was watching him talk on Tuesday at his media session, Tiger Woods, he was a completely different human being than I saw when I covered him at the Honda Classic uh, in, in February down in Palm Beach Gardens. He was friendly. He was, and this was even when he wasn't, when he would have a bad day, it was just a different guy. And so my read, which wound up being 100% incorrect, was that he was exhausted, as many were saying, that he might be injured, as many were theorizing, and that he knew, based on the way that this golf course was playing and that you would have to be able to fly at 320, that he wasn't going to be able to compete because he was either injured or tired or whatever the case might be. And we did see that his club head speed had gone from 122 miles an hour down to 116. So that's why I figured he was terse. And then you see Tiger Woods tee off on number 10. He hits it far right. Has to punch out, bogeys that on Thursday morning, and then he goes in the water on his second shot on number 11, a hole that many people were birdieing. Uh, and now he's uh, got a double bogey on that, and he's three over, and you're thinking, well, you better catch Tiger Woods in St. Louis quick because Tiger Woods is going to be heading out of St. Louis Friday afternoon when he doesn't make the cut. We saw, of course, how that wound up playing out. I'll get to that in a moment. And then you also have players and national golf media talking about the problems with the Greens. And for many people in St. Louis, they took offense to that. I would be curious if any of the people who took offense to that, and this can come off the wrong way, and so I'm I'm glad I'm talking about it, I'm intentionally talking about it when you can hear my voice as opposed to write it out, especially because you're going into the septic tank of social media. I wonder how many of the people who are bitching about the players and or the golf media complaining about how either soft the course was or the conditions of the greens at Bell Reeve were single-digit handicaps. And I know that that can come off the wrong way. I recognize that that can come off the wrong way, but I want to provide the context of the statement. Based on what I would read, whether it be email, Facebook DMs, Facebook posts, tweets, The majority, or I might dare say, all of the people who were complaining about the players complaining about how soft the course was or the greens were people who are not, and I think would self-identify as people who are not uh, either regular players of the game, huge golf fans, or particularly good players of the game. And then because golf has, and probably fairly so, uh, the attachment of being a game played by at a high level of people of privilege or of wealth, then you have that socioeconomic undercurrent to the discussion. And so it can get tense as opposed to talking about, say, the balls in Cincinnati when the Cardinals were bitching about those with the Reds eight years ago. There's no socioeconomic element to that discussion, but it is in the same sense, relevant, because everybody had to use the same balls while everybody had to put on the same greens. The players' issue, and I thought Kevin Kisner, of all people, and this is an interview I doubt you saw, uh, because why would people be showing long-form Kevin Kisner interviews? But he was near the top of the leaderboard. And Kevin Kisner said this, and I think he said this either Friday or Saturday. He said, the fact that the greens are as soft as they are is the reason why I'm in this golf tournament. And he went on to say... And a lot of people love Kevin Kisner because Kevin Kisner is a guy who seemingly would enjoy having a few beers with you out on the golf course. So he is kind of an everyman of the great players right now, not necessarily the 
you know, Spieth, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Jason Day, Ricky Fowler category. But, you know, he's been in the, the, the hunt on three of the last five majors uh, is because I, he goes, I can't hit as far as my playing partner, Gary Woodland. And he goes, he's hitting seven and eight irons in. And if you can picture the trajectory of a seven or eight iron, it's much higher. And so usually on a firm golf course, which Bell Reeve was not with firm greens, Woodland's an advantage because he's going to be able to stick the seven, the eight, the nine iron, and he's hitting only a seven or eight or nine iron because he can bomb it 30, 40 yards past Kevin Kisner, which is where the, the difference is. Kevin Kisner pointed out that he goes, even though Woodland's hitting seven or eight iron in and he's sticking it, because the greens are so soft, I'm able to hit four or five iron in, and I'm sticking it as well. So picture a four or five irons trajectory. It's much lower, but yet because the greens were so soft, they would stick and not run off like they would at most majors. And that changes the game. That changes the game. Now, you might not like it. You might think it's rich guys bitching about things that they should be happy about because they get to play golf and make millions of dollars, and that's fine. I'm not saying you're wrong with your opinion. I'm just saying this is the reason why they were talking about it. There was a reason for it. It was not a personal attack on St. Louis. And somehow the two got intertwined. At the same time, you had throughout the week and now with the event just coming to a conclusion, the same players who were critical of the Greens praising the fans in St. Louis like I've never seen. And this is coming from somebody who, like I, I go back to, most of you probably don't fall into this category, although if you're listening to this golf-centric podcast, I'm sure more of you than the average person uh, follow these guys on Twitter or Instagram, and therefore you know that it's not like a, a, a campaign tour stop where they're going to perform, you know, uh, verbal fellatio on every single market that they, they travel through. Oh, let me tell you about the fans at Quail Hollow. Oh, the fans at Whistling Straits. Can't say enough about They went out of their way. I mean, obviously, Tiger Woods. Uh, and that's a guy who, in and of itself, when does he praise fans? Uh, and shake hands and smile and give high fives. And what about him walking across that uh, that railing after he w hits the birdie on 18, the 72nd hole, and, he's, and he knows he's lost, yet he's smiling, giving a thumbs up to that sea of fans. Justin Thomas talking about being a major atmosphere like he always dreamt of. Stuart Sink saying it was one of the best experiences golf-wise he's ever had. Tim Rosefort, who I know you might be like, who else? Tim Rosefort. He's on the golf channel. He's been covering golf forever. Tim Rosefort sent out a tweet, and, I, and he said this, Bell Reeve 2018 for the 100th PGA Championship was the new gold standard for high-energy, well-behaved golf audiences I've experienced since covering major championship golf in 1980. That is a huge statement. And that, i got to tell you something. I figured the thing would be attended well. I figured there would be passion for it. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect the amount I didn't speak, expect the quality of the conduct, not because I expected bad conduct. I just like, I, I don't notice bad conduct when I'm watching a golf tournament. I certainly noticed the guy screaming in Tiger's backswing on the 72nd hole at Carnoustie 
Uh, and I know that European fans love to shit on American golf fans. Just that's that's kind of a European thing to look down on Americans anyway. But but I I I don't go. Ooh, the fans at Augusta this year were particularly well behaved. And did you notice how wonderful the gallery was at Shinnecock? But pretty disappointing two years ago at you know Whistling Straits or Chambers Bay or wherever you want to pick. I don't notice that shit. But that was the thing that Tiger Woods kept saying over and over again. And he finished it off by saying. I wish we could play in front of this type of fan base all the time. That is a rare thing. So the players were not lying when they were critical of the Greens, and the players were not lying when they were praising the fans. The two things can exist. But because there is a pride in this market, about the market, in part, I think, because the vast majority of people who live in the market grew up in the market and feel like the market has had a rough series of years. And whether you want to go back to the 1980s or you just want to go back to the last five years, take your pick. Uh, people are hypersensitive to criticism of St. Louis in general, especially when it's made by people who are not from St. Louis. And so the criticism of Bell Reef Country Club, a place the vast majority of us could never either afford to join or be accepted into the criticism of Bell Reef Country Club's greens, which were 100% valid, by the way, uh, became a personal attack on St. Louis, when in reality it was never a personal attack on St. Louis. Now, maybe some golf writers were thinking, why in the hell is this thing here? Or some players were thinking, why in the hell is this thing here? But it wasn't because it was the city of St. Louis. The thing about the event, though, when it's all said and done, is this. And I think it's a microcosm of three different elements. And they all finish on a high note. The event itself, Tiger Woods in the St. Louis region, starting with the event. The event starts off with all kinds of criticism. I watched live from the PGA Championship on the Golf Channel every night. DVR'd it, would sit there and nerd out to the point my wife would come downstairs and go, you want to watch something? Oh, you're locked in on this. And she just knew, yeah, sorry, sister, this is just where this is where my head is this week. And so I'd sit there and I'd watch it, which is just horrifically nerdy, but it's the truth. So I can speak to it from watching it. They spent so much time uh, either being directly critical of how soft the golf course was, how it was not worthy of a major championship, the greens, whatever the ca- passive-aggressive shots at the superintendent, whatever the case might be, That's what they did for the first couple days. Then you had the rain delay shutting down the course on Tuesday, and it got even more intense that these guys are going to eat this thing alive. This is not worthy of a a PGA championship. What a shame. Hope that it changes. And then it's not like it ended. Then you have the rain delay stopping play at 334 on Friday afternoon, meaning guys are going to have to come out and play in Tiger Woods' case like 29 holes uh, at 42 years old, fresh off of four back surgeries. And so then it built up again. So that's where we were with the event through Friday afternoon. Within 48 hours, the tone changes completely. Not to say that people go, wow, that was a worthy challenge of a golf course for these guys. That's not where it changed. That that criticism remained. But the event, the 100th PGA Championship, will be in people's memories for certain if they were there. But even as golf fans who are watching on television, and by the way, the ratings were up 69% from... Uh, year over year from last year with Justin Thomas's win at Quail Hollow because of what transpired with item number two, the fans and the relationship with Tiger Woods. If Tiger Woods does not make the cut and if he continues to spiral like he was spiraling at the outset, going three over through two holes, and by the way, he lost by two strokes, 
then the tournament doesn't have near the praise that it has because it wouldn't have had near the atmosphere. That's not a shot at St. Louis golf fans. That is Tiger Woods. I heard it multiple times over the weekend. Tiger Woods doesn't move the needle. Tiger Woods is the needle. But look at that leaderboard that you had on Sunday afternoon. Oh, you couldn't have handpicked it any better, as Mike Tucker told me, the head pro at Bell Reve. And you have that Sunday afternoon where I'm standing on the driving range just in heaven, in absolute heaven, knowing that in any moment, as soon as I hear the buzz from the fans who are looking at that overhang, looking down the driving range, but they can also see the door open from the clubhouse, the locker room, that as soon as they see that man in red, there's going to be a buzz, then they're going to be the cheers, and then they're going to be the roars on the driving range, by the way. And then I start hearing it. And then I turn my, my camera toward the tunnel, and I still love looking at the video because you see him come around the corner. It's like watching a, a rock star or a rap artist come out to take the stage, and the place is going batshit, and here comes that man in red with the confident walk. Like, I don't give a fuck that I haven't won in 10 years. I'm here to take this thing today. And he walks out, and he walks past dead serious, and you look to, to his right, and there's John Rahm, and you look to his right, and there's Ricky Fowler, and you look to his right, and there's Brooks Kepka, and you look to his right, and there's Adam Scott pay, playing for his fallen countryman, Gerald Lyle, and you couldn't ask for anything better. Meanwhile, there's guys firing some low numbers out there, the Illinois grad, uh, or Illinois player anyway, Thomas Peters, and you're thinking this thing is up for grabs today. Who knows what's going to wind up happening, and it's happening 15 minutes away from where I live. you got to be kidding me. And I wind up sitting there talking with Al McKinnis, the Blues legend, the NHL Hall of Famer, about the whole thing. We didn't spend a, a second on hockey, he was in full golf nerd mode and so fired up that at a place where he is a, uh, a member and loves this city, he said St. Louis needed a shot in an arm like this, a shot in the arm like this. And man, did we ever get it. And so you have Tiger Woods, a, a player who so many people had written off. And I'm not talking about 10 years ago. I'm not even talking about five years ago. I'm not about a couple of years ago where he had to kneel down and be carted off the golf course. I'm talking about just a week ago because he played so poorly on the weekend at Bridgestone. And then he's three over through his first two holes, two holes that when it gets down to it, yeah, you might bogey 10, but you're not going to double bogey 11. Uh, that thing's a, that's a free birdie. And in worst case scenario, it's a par. The man's three over par. He'd been written off. And there he is coming back, grinding. And that's what he did on Sunday afternoon. He grinded. He didn't hit a fucking fairway on the front nine. Yet he shot three under. Can you imagine going 0-7 of fairways but yet shooting three under? There's nobody who can do that. That's what he did. That shot on number nine where he had to navigate out of danger off the hard pan and then, and then draw it in 10 feet and then have a birdie opportunity and hit the putt? you got to be kidding me. And that sets the stage for a tiger charge in the back nine. And we got it. And then we got what we wanted to see. And I say we because I think I'm speaking for a lot of people here, maybe not everybody, but that's a Tiger Woods fist pump in red on a course right here in St. Louis for the 100th PGA Championship. And in a bizarre circumstance, if you would have said 11 years ago, Tiger Woods would be giving a fist pump on number 18, celebrating finishing in second place, you'd go, what the hell happened to Tiger Woods? Well, then you'd go into 10 years of quite a bit of stories. But that's where it was. And as Tiger Woods gets done celebrating with that fist pump after he rolls in the birdie, he walks up 
and he's on those stairs and the crosswalk and the CBS cameras are following him. And we had no idea what he was looking out at. And they pan to the left and you just see a sea of fans, many of whom, of course, are St. Louisans. And you see the smile on Tiger Woods' face, the thumbs up, and you're like, that's the moment. It wasn't Tiger's shot on 15 that nearly holed out. It wasn't Brooks Kepka hitting 370-yard drives. It wasn't Brooks Kepka's four-iron on a laser to within 10 feet on the 240-yard 16th hole. That was the best shot of the golf tournament. And that was the shot that I will always remember. And what a comeback it was. And I'm not talking about just the comeback over the last decade. I'm not talking about the comeback over the last week. I'm talking about the comeback over the last 48 hours because it looked like there was a chance he wasn't even going to make the cut. And that was the comeback. And then finally for St. Louis. For St. Louis, a city that has experienced all kinds of issues, and like I said, whether you want to go back to the 1980s and companies moving away, you want to go back to the Rams, you want to go back to Ferguson. Yes, we can talk about Ferguson here. It's not a bad word. It's a topic that needs to be discussed. Even if we're talking about a golf tournament, it's all relevant. Whatever you want, the MLS vote, bizarre votes, wherever you might see them, things that make you go, what in the hell just happened here? Take your pick. Take your pick. It's all relevant because we got to talk about it. In order to, in order to experience a comeback ourselves, we got to talk about it. There's St. Louis, criticized from the outset, so many people wanting to shit on this tournament, having a golf tournament that when it's all said and done, Tim Rosefort, I think a guy who's synonymous with credible golf media, saying Bell Reeve 2018 for the 100th PGA Championship was the new gold standard for high-energy, well-behaved golf audiences I've experienced since covering major championship golf in 1980. That is what was said by Tim Rosefort. Tiger Woods, when he lands in Jupiter, Florida, he's not moving on. He's not moving, as he said, my kids start school this week. That's where my focus was. Tiger Woods tweets out on his own. This is Tiger Woods. I can't thank the fans in St. Louis enough for packing the course all week and for their enthusiasm and support. It meant so much to me. That's Tiger Woods. That's not, you know, I mean, you know, Mick Foley and the WWE would would jokingly do the cheap pop. It's great to be here tonight in Lincoln, Nebraska. And then the crowd would, yeah, Tiger Woods doesn't need to do that. Tiger Woods doesn't usually do that. Tiger Woods certainly doesn't glad hand people as he moves from green to tea. That's how much it impacted him. And that is a credit to the region. That's a credit to the region. And and what I want to drive home here is not, and I, I will talk about golf tournaments and, and the potential for golf tournaments, but what I want to drive home here is this, is that we can do this stuff here. I know we're self-deprecating. I think we're harder on ourselves oftentimes than perhaps we should be. We, we travel around the country. Yeah, I'm from St. Louis and make a joke about it. Or, yeah, it's a baseball town. Or, yeah, we used to be this market. And now we're that market. But who's to say that we can't do it again? Who's to say that, like Tiger Woods, the best years are behind him? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. We just saw what happened on Sunday. And so this, to me, is more of a macro discussion because I'm quite certain that for a large number of people who couldn't even tell you another golfer in the field at the PGA Championship that they may live 10 minutes away from, that for them, if I start talking about a golf tournament having a greater impact, they'd go, shut the Fuck up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this region just put on one of the best major championships in the last decade. And it was done right here in St. Louis to the point that 
At the beginning of the week, the Golf Channel's talking about, man, being in St. Louis for this, what a shame. This course isn't worthy of a major championship. By the end of it, they're not only talking about a potential regular tour stop in St. Louis, they're talking, they said the words Ryder Cup. Francesco Molinari. He doesn't know anything. He went to Paul Mano's twice, by the way. Fun fact for no one tell. He liked Paul Mano's that much while he was in town. Uh, Francesco Molinari. Because this is like a Ryder Cup. It's like a Ryder Cup. They said a Ryder Cup in St. Louis. Now, the Ryder Cup is booked for a long ways away. Uh, but that's the kind of impact it made. My premise is this. We're hard on ourselves. And I think we should be hard on ourselves. I think sometimes we're not hard on ourselves enough with certain issues. But that we have an ability here to do incredible things that when the spotlight shines bright on St. Louis, we shine brightly as well. We don't have to apologize for it. And so it's much bigger than a golf tournament because for the vast majority of the three-plus million people in the area, that golf tournament didn't really mean that much. For as big as the ratings were and the attendance was for the vast majority of people, they don't know what the, who the hell Brooks Kepke is or Adam Scott. That just, that just doesn't resonate. What resonates is the impact. What resonates is the morale. What resonates is, holy shit, we can do this here. This can happen here. So let's talk about companies moving here instead of companies moving out of here. Let's talk about acknowledging that we have some incredibly talented people here who oftentimes, in their 20s, move away from here because they see greater opportunity elsewhere. It's a core issue. Let's talk about the things that have caused us to fall backwards, identify them, address them, and try to find solutions to make them better because clearly we can do great things here. The book is not closed on St. Louis, just like the book was not closed on the PGA Championship on Tuesday when it rained or Friday when it shut it down or on Tiger Woods when it looked like he was done with the tournament through two holes. And that's what I want to convey about the PGA Championship. And so while Jay Williamson, who's a Bell Reeve member and a gentleman who went to a few uh, sudden death playoffs on the PGA Tour, uh, said it was bittersweet for him on Sunday. And he was right there as Tiger Woods shook Brooks Kepka's hand. He was right there as Tiger Woods made that walk. And he said it was bittersweet because it was so great, but I don't know when I'm going to see it again is what he said. And he's right. I don't know when we're going to see it again. Uh, I don't know if a regular PGA Tour stop is the answer. And I realize that might come off as, well, that's now, now you're just saying shoot for the stars and now you're saying, well, you don't know. Well, here's my reasoning. So please follow through because I, uh, we can get into a, a, a Twitter pissing match when there's no need to. Here's my reasoning. First off, look at the PGA schedule. It's not like there's a bunch of events up for grabs. Uh, Tiger's event just shut down in D.C. I watched Tiger's press conference on that. He says because we couldn't find a sponsor. So that's a factor. How many events are actually available? Okay, it's another. When would these events be available? From my standpoint, if you're going to put a golf tournament in St. Louis, the golf tournament has to most likely be in the month of September. That's your best bet. If we're talking June, July, August, we're talking about the, the heat and humidity that for many of us, we're like, well, this isn't that bad. It's 85. And for the guy like Ian Poulter coming over from, the, from England going, what the hell is this? This is, this is brutal. Uh, and the player, you know, Tiger was hot. We're used to it. Many of the players are not. And they don't want to play in it. Now, we can bitch about that, call them pussies, whatever you want to do. I, I personally wouldn't. That, they're not used to it. It's, it's like I watch baseball, and I'm like, okay, you competed in warm weather for six months, and then you're going to decide the world championship with 
freezing rain. It's the strangest damn thing to me. I know you deal with it. I know football has, but that's a different style of game. I digress. And then also, or if it's a if it's a regular stop, what kind of field are you going to get? You just had 97 of the top 100 in the world. That's not going to happen for a regular stop unless it's some kind of major caliber tournament. So therefore, what I would like to see is a major be in a rotation for the PGA Tour. That's what I would like to see. That That's what I think has the highest potential return on investment. It's no disrespect to the Champions Tour. It's no disrespect to uh, the LPGA, the web. Uh, it, it's none of that. It's just we got to be careful. Well, we don't have to. You're welcome to opine whatever you want to opine. I got to be careful with saying, yeah, bring now bring a tour here because a tour event here on right. Because the reality is, you know, you know, does anybody know what the event is this week? Probably not. It's something called the Wyndham, and I think it's in one of the Carolinas. And I can tell you, the field will be comparable to the Dotem in May at Normandy. It's just the guys are going to take it off, and then they have the FedEx Cup playoffs, and that's where they'll focus. My family, we go to Hilton Head every year. My parents have been going there since their honeymoon in 1974. And one of the things that they always say is, oh, we love, and everybody loves playing in Harbortown and Hilton Head, but it's the week after the Masters. And so oftentimes, unless you're sponsored by RBC, the sponsor of the, the, the tournament, you, you don't have some of the best players, even though it's a great signature golf course. Why? Because it's the week of the Masters, and they, or the week after the Masters, they take it off. So from that standpoint, that's where I'm coming from on that. You can't just create an event out of nowhere that's going to get the best players in the world. The energy of the Bell Reeve 100th PGA Championship was a byproduct of how great the field was. And so I would love to see a major return here. And I think, based on what took place in St. Louis over the last week, I think that is possible. And I would have told you two weeks ago, and I think Jay Randolph Jr. would have told you two weeks ago, uh, and I think Jay Williamson would have told you two weeks ago that was never going to happen. And it showed so well. And St. Louis showed so well, and the players loved it so much that it is now a possibility. Uh, so that is something that I would take away from it. And that's what I uh, would uh, would say uh, to everybody about uh, the, the, the PGA Championship. I'm sorry I was sending out a text there. I feel like Mike Frances. Let me just text Bill right here. Uh, so let me just text Bill right here and maybe gangster Pete wants to edit this. Maybe not. Maybe it's more organic. If you can hear me texting. Uh, okay. So now let me get to this. I got to play Bell Reeve the day after the PGA championship. I never expected that to happen. I jokingly talked about playing Bell Reeve after the PGA championship. Uh, and I was talking about it with Jay Randolph jr. He was filling in on TMA and he goes, dog, I think I can get us out there. And I'm like, are you serious? And he goes, I think I can. And so sure enough, he does. He was going to play with me. And uh, he had some uh, work things pop up, and he wasn't able to play, so he sent his um, uh, cohort from uh, Normandy, Patrick Aubuchon, to take his place. And I don't know if Jay would have wanted to do it. I know I wanted to do it, but Jay was just kind of laughing at me anytime I said I was going to do it, and that is play from the tees the boys played from at the PGA Championship. 7,314 yards. And Patrick shows up, and he's running late, and he's heading to the range for like they hit 10 balls. And I go, we're playing tips, baby. Tip this bitch out. And he goes, yes, sir. And I'm like, oh, my God, are we really going to do this? 
And he comes back and he goes, you really want to do it? I said, I absolutely want to do it. I don't care what I shoot. I just want to experience it. And I had been saying, now I'm an eight handicap. Uh, I had been saying to uh, Jay, and I remember I saw Jason Isringhouse in there on Friday, and I saw Kachuk there on Friday, and, and both Isringhouse and Kachuk are eights. Uh, when I talked to Al McKinnis, who's a four, he said when he plays from the tips, he shoots in the low 80s. But, and I said, uh, I said, I think, I think 130 will be my number. And they just go, 130? What are you out of your mind? I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to have blow-up holes, and if I go OB and I'm hitting three and I still have 500 yards on a par four, I, I, carding a 10 is going to happen. I mean, it's just, it's just going to happen. And we're counting all strokes. We're not doing the, we're not fluffing the ball. We're not dropping laterally on a white stake. We're playing the game by the rules. We're putting everything. We're not doing 20 foot gimmies or saying, Oh, three putts. Fuck it. We're playing the game. No cap. And so they're just like one thirty is way too high. So I'm like, okay, I'll set the over under at one seventeen point five. And I posted on the fan page and I didn't look because I didn't want it to get in my kitchen. I said, I'm not going to take any bets on it. Here's the number. You guys can bet on it, whether you want. And I saw a lot of people were going over and I don't blame them. I thought 117.5 was a good number. And so we get to the, the, the first tee. We played number 10 first and we're all the way back up against the stands. And you're like, oh my God, this was playing as a par four. You know, I mean, you're just, you gotta be kidding me. And I've played the course before, but I'm usually teeing off about 50 yards up. And it's a playing, you know, the members tees and it's a par five. And here's the, I'm so disappointed in myself, but this happened. If I'm going to tell the story of it, I have to, I have to be candid. I get up there. If anything, I, I switched my swing over the last couple of weeks. I was in the finals of a, of a tournament, uh, of our flight, me and the great Cletus. And, uh, we lost. And then I'm like, okay, now once that's happened, I, I'm going to do some new things with my swing. So I've implemented a new swing and I've had pretty good success with it was uh, hashtag blessed enough to play with Marcus Allen uh, on Saturday at Far Oaks and hit a lot of fairways, so I was pretty comfortable with the swing. I wasn't even thinking anything of it. And in the days of getting nervous on the first tee, fortunately, are pretty much in the past. Uh, and so I wasn't even thinking about a possibility. You just don't think. I mean, I remember when you first started playing, and you're like, oh, my God, first tee, I might, you know, top it and hit it three yards or something. That's fortunately in the past. So what do I do? I, I mean, I hit the ball like I hit a lob wedge and it maybe goes 60 yards dead straight in the air, a little to the right, hits off the stands. And I'm like, well, we, Patrick, we said we'd hit two off the first tee and that would be it. So I hit a second one. I guess the nerves are still there. I shank it into that rough, which Mike Tucker told me had not been cut since Wednesday. So the thing's just gone. As I'm walking out there, Bell Reef provided caddies for this uh, this media day. And my caddy goes, hey, that thing bounced back in the fairway. Yes, it did bounce back in the fairway, barely into the fairway. And by that, I mean not the left or right. I'm meaning where the fairway grass starts. That's how far back I was, about 30 yards in front of the white tees. That's where I was lying one. And I'm like, oh, my God, am I, am I choking here? Is that what's going on? And then I hit my second shot. And I, I can't remember if I hit a three-wood or a four-iron. Either way, it was topped again. I'm going, oh, my God, this, is, this sucks. I'm going to shoot 150. So then I got a third shot. And you know that bunker on the left side that Brooks Kepka would blow it past and then hit a wedge in? I'm still behind that bunker by about 100 yards, lying two. So this is my birdie attempt from 300 out. And uh, I nearly take off poor Patrick's head, 
but fortunately it winds up just at the bottom of the hill and now I'm lying three and who knows, maybe I can get up and down from about a hundred out and, and, and salvage a bogey, which would normally be a par. Um, and then I, I hit a wedge like a thin it and it goes flying over the green and now I'm sitting there in four and, and it's, I'm going to have to pitch it over the collection area and the, and it, there's a good chance it's going to go into the Gary Woodland Memorial bunker uh, where he had all his fun and games with Kisner's caddy. And now all of a sudden, I mean, who knows? So I wind up, you know, I try to pitch it. It comes up short. It's in the collection area. At this point, I'm putting the thing like I'm a 30 handicap just to get it on the fucking green. And I two putt and I, I get an eight. And at this point, right then, the great PGA pro Dan texts me and he goes, I think you're going to shoot a 92 today. And I wanted to look at him and go, go fuck yourself. I just, I just got an eight, but I kept it together because I'm a champion and champions get snowmen on par fours. And, uh, and so then we head to 11. Now 11 is the hole. If you'll recall that they set it up so the boys could drive the greens on two of the days, Friday and Sunday. And Patrick goes, you're going to, you're going to go for it. I'm like, honestly, after what just happened there, I might just, I might just put my way up the fairway to make sure I make contact. I was rattled. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm getting this opportunity. So I, I've already made it public and I might, and I'm going to count every fucking stroke and I might shoot 150 which was just horrifying to me because I had just shot an 82 from the tips at Far Oaks and, and it was I don't want to say it was effortless but it wasn't that difficult and now I'm out here with this incredible opportunity these grandstands I'm playing the course that Tiger Woods just played Brooks kept it as one on and I'm gonna shit the bed so I take the quiche route send your tweets at Tima Kernan to criticize me I hit a six iron leave myself with 100 yards and, uh, and of course, miss left, but, you know, I'm pin high, hitting out of the rough, and that rough, you know, you think you know rough, and then you play that rough, and you're like, so the way I would describe hitting out of the rough at Bell Reeve yesterday, which was Monday, the day after the tournament, was like hitting a sand shot. That's how my caddy instructed me to hit it. Open up the club face, take it back. When I hit a sand shot, I focus a lot on my right hand coming through and not decelerating. That's how I've had some success out of the sand. And that's what I did with my uh, third shot. It went past the pin. But I was able to two putt for a bogey, and I'm like, okay, a bogey is something I can deal with. I can deal with a bogey, quad bogey or a triple bogey in the case uh, of of number ten. That can't happen. Um, so hopefully we're going to right the ship. Go to twelve, hit another terrible drive. Not as not the pop up. It still was hooked into the rough. And at that point, you just know you can't you can't hit it. I mean, God bless these guys for being able to hit real shots out of that stuff. I just pitch out sideways. And then I stick a seven iron to within 15 feet from about 155 yards out. And I two putt that. And now I got another bogey on a hole that after that drive, six sevens in play. Uh, so I'm like, okay, now I'm getting things right. Hit a good shot on 13. Unfortunately, it, it's, it's, it hooked or not hooked. It, it cut too much and then went into one of the bunkers. My sand game's pretty good. Uh, get it out of there. Steep bunker and two putt for a bogey. So from my standpoint, bogeys are like pars. Uh, and then we get to number 14, the hole that for my money uh, killed Tiger on on uh, on Sunday. And I piped the drive. And I knew I had it in me. It just took a few holes to get caught. Piped the drive to the point that I think I had eight iron in. Uh, and, uh, and I was on in regulation, two putt. I actually had a par. I got a par on uh, hole 14. Uh, Tiger bogeyed it. And therefore, I am, of course, better. So we go to number 15. Um, that's the hole where Tiger nearly holed out into. And uh, and I hit another shitty drive. Got very fortunate that it bounced out. 
and uh, and I was able to get on in three, had a legitimate par opportunity, probably about a 20-foot putt, and, uh, and two putt again. And that's the thing. So we're talking about the greens here. This is the thing that so many people were curious. They were curious about number 11. They were curious about number four, curious about 17. I'll get into it. But regarding the greens, there was Tiger said uh, specifically, you're not scared of any putt out here. And that's Tiger Woods. So I was curious how I would feel. And I have to tell you, as an eight handicap, which probably puts me, what, what, what do you think Tiger's, like a plus 20 or something like that? I mean, realistically, like a plus, I don't even know. What, I don't even know what that number, plus six or something. Who knows? Uh, I wasn't scared of the greens. And by that, I mean I wasn't scared of the speed of the greens. They just, they, so you could, you could go at them. You could go at the holes. Um, this isn't a criticism. It's just people want to know what it was like. That's what it was like. And so I played 18 holes there and I didn't three putt once. And there was never a sweat of three putting. Now, keep in mind, I got to pull up. I keep track of all. I really recommend the Golf Logics app, by the way, um, because I enter all my stats and that way I can kind of track where I am on things. But, um, you know, I hit a lot of fairways over the course of that round, uh, which is saying something because I also let a couple get away, um, and, it, and it hurt the score. Certainly number 10 would fall into that category. But taking a look at how many greens in regulation I hit, it wasn't many, 5 of 18. So that means I'm chipping up close, which therefore kind of mitigates the putt stat. Uh, had a total of 34 putts, so I only had two one putts. Uh, and one of the one putts uh, was on the next hole, number 16, which is the one that Kepka fired the laser four ironed within 10 feet. Uh, to give you an idea of the difference between Brooks Kepka and I outside of the height and the size of the biceps and his major championships, I had a three wood in my hands and I choked and topped it. And so then I had to hit like a, I don't even know, five iron maybe out of the rough because I only hit the ball about 50 yards. I mean, this is a mess. Uh, that goes um, into, I think I went into the bunker on that. Yeah, into the bunker. Um, but like I said, I'm pretty confident in my sand game. And I was able to get up and down out of the sand for a four. So that was a one putt. Um, going to 17, another hole that killed Tiger, that par five. Uh, they played it from two different tee boxes. Uh, we played it up, the up tee box. The, we were still playing 525 yards. Some guy saw my shot and goes, well, you weren't playing the tips. I'm like, dude, first off, how fucking bored are you? And secondly, they did move the tee box on 17 back and forth to increase the chance of getting on in two. But whatever, I digress, uh, shipped the drive. That hole plays well for me because I have a left-to-right ball flight. And so I'm able to aim at that bunker and fortunately got it past the bunker, hit a hill, and it kept rolling. And I realistically could have gone for it in two, which is, I don't know what the hell happened. Somebody must have rolled the thing 100 yards up because I don't know how that's possible. But I know my game, and I just hit a four iron up there. Uh, just past that bunker that's 50 yards in front of the hole, hit a little wedge in, pulled it a bit, but still was on with a birdie putt. And I'm like, man, I got a chance to birdie this fucking hole, the Tiger part, on Saturday and Sunday. And I probably a 20-foot putt downhill, front left pin position, roll it right at it. I've got some heat on it. It hits right in the middle, but because there was too much heat on it, it popped and then landed right next to the cup. So instead of a birdie on 17, which would have been tits, I got a par on 17, but it was a tap-in par. He had another tap-in par bogey. So at this point, we start off with an eight, and now I've got nothing but sweat-free bogeys uh, and pars minus the one putt on, on 16. 
Go to 18, get a great video of that from my playing partner, Patrick. And I usually am left to right. I actually was able to put a right to left on that one. I'm sitting, but I'm, I mean, I hit it really well, and I'm still at a four iron in. I mean, that's just the distance when you're playing the tips. That's the, that's the issue for it. Uh, and that goes in a right bunker up uh, on the green, missed the putt, and I bogey that. So I wind up shooting 45 from the tips on the back at Bell Reeve, and I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell did this happen? At this point now, I know I'm going to cover the under uh, unless there's an absolute meltdown on the back. Um, but it's not even crossing my mind of shooting in the eighties, uh, just because my goal was to stay, you know, my, my goal was to break one ten. Honestly, that was really, really my goal. Uh, and then, you know, you go to number one, number one's a pretty nondescript hole you know, they would birdie one, two, and three. I'm on in regulation, have a 15 foot putt for birdie, just miss it. Uh, number two is the hole with the water on the left that Justin Rose and Dustin Johnson nearly hit it through the fairway. That's a hole when you're playing from the members' tees. The tee shot, it's still intimidating in the sense you have all that water on the left and sand on the right. When you go back about 60 yards, which is where they were teeing off from and therefore we teed off from, oh, my God. My playing partner, Patrick, got things going right there. He had a beautiful tee shot, bombed it up there, and he only probably had 100 yards to the pin. I also hit driver, uh, and I was out in the middle of the fairway, but I let the water get in my head, so I aimed further right than I should have, and I probably hit the ball. I probably blocked it and aimed right, and so I caught a bunker, greenside bunker, in two, which is a shame because my drive left me an eight iron in. And uh, and I it was a tough bunker shot because it was kind of, I was in the back bunker, and there was a bunker in front of me, and I didn't get out in one, which was rare. And then uh, two putt, and that was a double bogey. So my first non-bogey or par since our first hole Number three is that easy par three, parred that with no problem, nothing really to say about that one. Then we get to number four, which is a 500-some-odd yard uh, par four, which is just amazing. And, uh, and I'm like, God, i got to hit a good drive here. But this, this is the problem with being a left-to-right player on that golf course. Now, for those guys, it may not matter. For me, it does. And that's another one where you're kind of, you got the trees in front of you, and if you cut the ball, you're hitting into the trees and then letting it fall back. And so that gets in your head, got in my head anyway. And I, uh, I hit driver, just snap hook into the rough, barely up to the fairway. And so now I'm like, oh my God, I, I brought 10 into play. I hit a really good seven iron out of the rough because you can't hit a four iron out of that. I mean, you can, but you know, God bless you. So I had a seven iron, got me up there. And then at that point I'm in the fairway and I have a legitimate chance to get there, but I'm hitting three wood. My third shot is a three wood. And, uh, and I wasn't able to get on, but I'm just past the green. And uh, I chip it up there, ran it longer, and uh, missed the putt. So it's a six, which would be a normal bogey. For them, it would have been a double bogey. I'm A-OK with that, trust me, especially after that drive. Uh, a hole that, you know, was a, I was wondering why it was why they kept talking about number five as being so tough because I've, I've been lucky enough to play there a few times. And to me, number five isn't that tough. But that's because I'm playing from the member tees. I'm telling you, it's got to be, it had to feel, it was close to a full hundred yards back from where we normally play uh, on number five. And then you're like, oh, now I get why it's so tough. I mean, holy shit. Uh, I hit it in the fairway, though. Uh, unfortunately, I still have a driver three wood situation. It's just a different game. And my three wood comes up short, and I'm in a steep bunker on number five. And, uh, like I said, my sand play, though, pretty, pretty solid. I'm able to, I mean, it was, it was a 
probably my one of my favorite shots to get out of that sand as steep as it was and on and have a really realistic chance to par it, miss the par putt, uh, and uh, and tap in for a bogey. I'm fine with it. Then we go to the signature hole number six, which I think had the score highest scoring average at par three, and uh, and there was a closest to the pin event for the people who were uh, who were playing uh, in this event. And so this was the one that we did not play the tips on. And I'm sure plenty of people go, oh my God, if there's a hole to play the tips, it's this. Um, but we played it from 170 as opposed to 220. And uh, I hit a uh, five iron. I hit my iron so off for how far I hit my driver. It's a technique thing. If anybody knows how to fix it, please, I'll be happy to meet with you. Uh, because that's that should be a six, maybe even a seven. And I'm hitting a five. Uh, did go over the green, chipped it, nearly hold out on my chip, easy tap and par, so parred that one. But asterisk next to it because that one was not from the tips, and obviously it's a different world from 220 as opposed to 170, but still you have the water in a, in a tough green. Uh, number seven's a relatively simple, straightforward hole, although that was playing from way back as well relative to where we normally play it. I went in the fairway bunker, got up and down uh, with a, with a par on that, and then I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh, my God. Because Patrick then goes, dude, you're playing really, really well. I think, I don't know what Patrick's number is, but, and I go, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, he, he goes, what do you, I go, what do you think I shot on the front? He goes, I don't know, like 42, 43, 44, somewhere in there. And I go, I shot 45. And he, and he goes, what'd you get on the first one? I go, I got an eight. He goes, oh, shit. He goes, I thought you got a six or seven. I go, no, it was a total disaster. So I'm now cognizant that I'm scoring well and, I am, you know, but that's not going to affect the way I approach it. I mean, you got a 610 yard par five. It's not like I'm going to cut the corner. So I hit driver, hit the fairway. No problem. Probably was only 240, 250 on the drive. And because there's a hazard on the right side, and I know that I cut my three wood also with a chance of blocking it because where I play, I rarely have to hit a fairway three wood. Uh, So it's not one of my stronger clubs. I'm kind of theorizing on how to handle this thing. If I would have played my three wood, I'm bringing that corner with those trees into play because that's where I would have been aiming and who knows what happens. Plus, I might be in my mind subliminally thinking, oh, shit, I'm going to wind up hitting it into the water, the creek over there, and then just not put a good swing on it, top it, something like that. I hit four iron, which I have a great deal of confidence in. Didn't catch it great, but certainly was a good shot in the sense that it was right in the fairway and I had a great angle at the pin. But I'm still 200 yards away. I've hit a driver and I've hit a four iron and I'm 200 yards away. But you know, what am I going to do? Plus it's uphill. And, um, and I, so I asked the caddy, I said, what kind of trouble are we looking at behind the green? And he goes, well, you got Mason road back there. And I said, but like, as far as anything else, he goes, well, I think you'd rather be long than short. I go, fine, fuck it. I'm going to have the rare combination of driver, four iron, three wood. And I've hit each ball pretty pure. And that's what I have. And I didn't hit it well, hit it short, hit it right. So now I have a 60-yard shot out of that deep rough to the pin. Um, and I get it out of there. I mean, like I said, you had to hit it like it was a bunker shot. Open up the club face and just get down there and get the damn thing up. You know you're going to pull it. I pull it, but it stays out of the bunker. Now I have a chip for up and down. Chip it, run it past the hole, have 10 feet left for a bogey that I would feel like was a birdie. And uh, and so I... I I have a great look at it, feel like the line's right. Caddy's got a good beat on it for me, and I hit it, and somehow it lips out right. And listen, I'll miss putts, and I'm not going to Jordan Spieth it. And Patrick goes, oh, my God, did you see that? And I go, 
now I, I kind of try to keep my head down on the ball when I'm putting. And he goes, it bounced. It bounced right off the club face. And so that's the kind of, the, if you want to talk about the greens, yeah, you adjust on the speed. It's the, it's that some of the things would bounce. Not all of them. I mean, shit, like one out of 10, but nonetheless. And so that's what happened there. Uh, and unfortunately, that wound up being a double bogey. So I get to the, the ninth tee, which is our 18th hole. And I'm sitting at 83. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe that. I, I mean, I have an eight and I just have a double bogey there and I have a double bogey on two. And I'm, I'm sitting at 83 from the tips from the championship tees. You got to be kidding me. And so number nine is that dog leg left up the hill. It's where Tiger Woods hit perhaps the most famous shot of the whole thing. And I'm just thinking to myself, I've been hitting my driver fine all day. Just get it out there. And I can double bogey and stay in the, in the 80s, which never was even on my mind. I think if I would have been like, I can stay in the 90s, I would have been thrilled. And so I get in the tee box. There's not really nerves. I'm just like, I want to hit a great drive. That's what was on my mind. And, you know, take it for what it's worth. It's what happened. You know, if we're going to tell honest stories, we're going to tell everything. Uh, as I'm in my backswing, and I certainly swing hard, as I'm in my backswing, I, th I guess it was my, it had to be my right hand. My right hand slipped just like a, I don't even know. I don't know what the distance would have been, like a centimeter. Either way, I felt it slip, and then I pulled it into an area that I thought was going to be out of bounds. The caddy immediately gave the safe sign. So I'm like, oh, my God, what a break that I'm safe. But then I get over to the ball, and it's, I mean, it's, as Doug Vaughn would say, it's absolute jail. I have a choice. I can turn sideways, pitch out, punch out, and it puts me in the rough, which God only knows what happens. I have a maybe, I'm trying to picture it, even though it's a fucking nightmare, uh, an eight-yard window in between two big trees to get the ball out under off hard pan uh, from this dirt. I don't even have a full backswing because I've got the fence in my backswing. But I'm sitting there thinking, I just got to get a six. I mean, it's a, what, a, what a wonderful way to go into a hole, but that's where I am. And I'm like, this is my only chance to ever do this. This is literally a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This is literally a once-in-a-lifetime thing, so I have to go for it. Uh, and so I line up the shot. I mean, I, it was, I Jason dated. I Jordan Spieth it. It took forever. They would have put me on the clock. And I line it up. I have my mark in front of me, a little leaf that I'm using is that's where I got to have my follow through and know I want to punch down on it, keep it low and make good contact. Ideally, it'll go over that bunker on the left side. I'm out in the fairway. And at that point, it turns into a par four, you know, a four gets me an 89, a par, a four from probably a 140 out, which, you know, I damn well better be in in four. Uh, and I smack the thing down on the ground and I hit it well. And it catches the right tree and comes firing back at me. And at that point, I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. So no other choice at that point but to punch out because it's really up against the fence. And so I'm lying three. And now we've got problems. I'm in the rough. And I'm still probably 270 yards up a hill away from the pin. And it's very deflating, as you might imagine, even though, I mean, shit, the fact that I'm even at this point was a monster upset. And, uh, and I'm hitting out of the rough. I I'm on tilt. So I don't think like I normally think I, I try to manage around a golf course. It certainly can help you avoid monster holes. Uh, and, uh, and I should have hit like a seven iron. Uh, but, uh, I just, I had a four iron with me 
and I hit the four iron, and you can't hit a four iron out of that rough. I hadn't done it all day, and and out of that rough, it's going to pull the ball for right-handed player. It goes left, and I go OB, and at that point, I know it's over. Uh, I don't even think. I just drop another one. I'm, now I'm lying, what, one, two, three, four, five in. This is my sixth shot, so I better hole out. It's not going to happen. I hit the four iron again, completely irresponsible. Hit it well, though. And now I have a great angle on the right side of the fairway. Next shot, I get up on the green 10 feet, 12 feet from the hole. So I have a putt for eight downhill, right to left. Just miss it. So I card a nine on the final hole for an official score with no mulligans, no fluffing the ball. We're playing it down uh, 92. And I have to tell you, I am embarrassed by how much it bothers me. It, it, it just is like we're going to bed last night and Anna Marie goes, I, she heard me sigh. And this is like six hours after the damn thing. And I just gotten to play the PGA championship course from the tips on a beautiful day in my hometown. And here I am sighing. I mean, what a, what an absolute, what an absolute disaster I am. And she goes, what's wrong? And I go, I'm just upset about that fucking nine. And she goes, Oh God, but I am, I am. I can't, I can't help it. I am. I am. But here's, I don't know what I would have done differently. I mean, honestly, to go back and results-oriented, it's not fair because that's not how the, the world works. I guess if I could, because you get a free drop, if you go over the fence on the right side, I should have just lined up and just blasted it to the right. And if I go over the fence, it's a free drop. I saw McElroy do it. I saw Poulter do it. Both of them went over the fence, and they got a free drop. That's what I should have done. But it was not. I was hitting my driver so well that I wasn't even really thinking about thinking about it. And I don't know how much the club slipping mattered. It sounds like such an excuse. It's like pointing at a spike mark, but that's what happened. It did, it did happen. Um, so I don't know, but, uh, either way, if you, here's the, here's the bottom line. If I can pick myself up and stop bitching, I shot a 92 from the tips at Bell Reeve, uh, the day after the PGA championship. If you would have told me I was going to do that, I would have said, you're crazy. And, and if you would have given me 10 to 1 odds that I would have shot, and you would have given me 92 and a half as the over-under number, and 10 to 1 odds, I would not have taken it. I'm dead serious on that. I'm dead serious on that. If you would have said, okay, the over-under is 100.5, and I'll give you 5 to 1 odds, I'm not sure I would have taken it. I'm Again, I'm being dead serious about it. So the thing that makes it disappointing is it became clear to me maybe about the 14th or 15th hole, that I could handle it. So often, and I'm, if for those of you who've played great courses, uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. You let the course get in your head, and, and the course beats you, even though you're capable of handling it. And that's what I did on number 10. I don't know what happened on number 9. I, I, it, you know, I mean, I, I hit a couple of really good shots, but uh, as far as pulling that drive, for real, because it's not like, it's like okay, even if they said, okay, come out and play today, it's still not the same thing. It's still not the day after the PGA championship. And so you're not going to have that in your hometown with the stands up and the booths and all that stuff. And all I needed was a fucking six. And so it tilts me, but that's what happened. I'm being honest, do with it what you want. I guess so many people still like great players, players much better than me. Like, God, congratulations. Mike Tucker goes, wow, that's really good playing. Cause we haven't cut that rough since Wednesday. 
I'm like, yeah, but I got a nine, you know, but they're just like, you know, so I guess I should be happier. I don't know. But, but that's, that's the way I operate. It's, it's, it's a horrible thing. It's, it's like what people, it's like what Joe Buck says about Twitter. It's like you get a thousand compliments, but then you get one shitty one and that's the one you focus on. So I guess I had 16 pretty damn good holes, 14 really good holes. Cause yeah, I did have two double bogeys in addition to the eight and the nine. And of course, what am I going to focus on? I'm going to focus on that. But if I would have gotten the nine, like on my 10th hole, as opposed to the last hole when I was only needing a double bogey, it would have been a different operation. Like I'm certainly focusing more on number nine than I am number 10 because number nine was the, the last hole and number 10 was the first hole. So anyway, I got to experience it. And, 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 and I'm sure most of you are like, dude, you got to play the PGA championship course and you played for you pretty well. And it was a beautiful day. And you got to spend that time out there with your wife and your son on Wednesday and with your parents on Monday. And you got to walk the course with your father-in-law on Tuesday and see Tiger Woods at that birdie putt on Sunday and, you know, hang out with who, you know, Keith Kachuk and Jason Isringhausen and, you know, whoever else I was able to run into and bullshit with Al McInnes on the driving range, see Tiger Woods come through that tunnel and you're going to focus on your nine you know, when you really are a shitty player anyway and act like you should be in the 80s from the tips, go fuck yourself is what you're thinking. And you're probably right. You're probably right. I should go fuck myself. You're 100% right. But I'm just telling you, you're hearing uh, the honest emotion of, of the whole thing. So that's what happened. I, I'll never have that opportunity again, but it will always be a, a 92. At least I got to do it but I will not stop beating myself up. I'm curious if in a week I'll still be bothered by it because when I get knocked out of like big poker tournaments, I would feel like I'll never get over this bad beat. And then like within a day, I've totally forgotten about it. But since you're hearing it less than 24 hours later, you're hearing the raw emotion of the whole thing. And uh, as pathetic as it is, at least now you've heard it. So there it is. There it all is. The PGA Championship, the 100th in St. Louis. All of the perspective. Do with it what you want it's 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 all golf centric so if you lasted this long you must be pretty into it yourself i hope you've enjoyed the anecdotes i thank uh, mark Hanna of evergreen wealth strategies i thank ryan kelly and of course james carlton of carlton state farm insurance 314-961-4800 or online at carltoninsurance.net if your insurance costs a leg and an arm call james carlton state farm he's been with me from the very beginning allowing us to sit here and tell asinine stories like this uh, but the thing is about James is he's an incredible guy who runs a fine business and is the guy if you need to make a change in insurance. Or if you just need insurance, give him a call. I'm telling you, here is a promise. If you make the call, you're going to be happy you did. I'm telling you that with the greatest of sincerity. 314-961-4800, James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance. And then also uh, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet uh, at I-270 and Washington Elizabeth Exit 24-7 at Landoff dot com Landoff family a great great st louis family all right there it all is do with it what you want email me critique the play if you would like even though you didn't see any of it uh the pga championship your thoughts on that i, I welcome it all i enjoy uh I, i'll read all the emails sometimes my responses aren't as in-depth as your initial email don't take that personally i hope but that's uh, the way that uh i i because I, I will i will get a lot of them but i always want to respond Unless you're like, hey, fuck face, nice work on the ninth, you know, and I, I don't know what I, I don't know what I can write back to that. But uh, there it all is. I try to be as uh, blunt with my assessments as possible. Hope you enjoyed it. I loved the PGA Championship here. I am sad as I was walking out that I won't see those stands there again, but I suppose we'll always have the memories and the pictures and the videos from it. What a week for St. Louis. We can do much more like we just did 
this past week here in this region. For Gangster Pete, who's on the ones and twos this week, for our sponsors, Ryan Kelly, James Carlton, Mark Hanna, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Seth Goldcamp at Design Air, uh, and for everybody who's taken the time to listen, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network.